It's always good to kind of get an idea of where we are when you read any literature, but certainly a gospel. Time-wise, we are late. Uh, We are in the very ending of his ministry, really. Uh, Next week is a text about the triumphal entry. So it's... uh, it sneaks up on you and Mark a little bit. We've been working through this for, well, approximately 23 weeks, I think, if I remember right. Uh, this being 24. Very, very good way uh, to get to know Jesus is just to read through a gospel, and certainly uh, going through one like we have a little bit more pointedly is good. You know, there's different ways to get to know God. Uh, this is one of them. You've done the other one, worship. Uh, worshiping is essentially responding to who God uh, says he is and singing back to him and remembering his promises and certainly prayer uh, and then serving him in some way. Um, you know, a l- number of you have been in the church for a while. Some of you are maybe a little newer. And y- you always hope that our church is something that feeds you. Um, uh, I think uh, we do that. But also always remember how is it that God can use you, both in the church and outside of it, but the gifts that you have because... That's another way to get to know, get to know Jesus better. So we're coming upon a couple of disciples here. We just came off of the rich young ruler last uh, week, and then Jesus predicting his death very pointedly. Um, and as we've said, as we've gone through Mark, it's kind of about the idea of trying to get to know who Jesus is through the eyes of certainly the author here, which is most likely Peter through the pen of Mark, but we're going to see that they still don't quite get it. <laughs> and that's, uh, so I guess when you, if you know someone like this or you're one of these people, you know, just, we just got to be careful not making people have to thrust through something that they don't quite understand yet. Uh, just walk with them, you know, let, let God help. And, and in yourself, it's like, um, I don't know if you knew this, but I don't have it all figured out yet either. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's more of a connection, a relationship. It just keeps going. You're going to keep getting to know him. Um, and getting into his word is a good way to do it. So verse 35 of chapter 10. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to set one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard this, they began to be indignant at James and John. So they ask him, they request something of him. Um, And I think a key here is to know the the political, you know, the politics of things, and then the idea, the theological, what's going on in theology uh, in first century Palestine under Roman occupation. Uh, We get part of this, but I think we miss a little bit of it too. The Messiah, you know, when we see the word Christ, that's just the word Messiah in in Greek. and I think I've told you that when you read your Bible today, uh, not if, because there's no if, right? If you, if you don't read daily, just read a verse. How hard is that? Read half a verse. I don't care. Uh, don't just read one word. That would be a little boring, right? You know, like today, we would just go, and, eh, that might not get depth to you, but just, just read a little bit. 
you know, uh, and hopefully get hungry for more. But when you read it, if you read it and wherever it says Christ, say Messiah, it, it, it gives a little bit more flavor sometimes. Um, but the Messiah was seen to be a conqueror and an earthly king like David. Uh, and in some ways, he was or he will be. Uh, but that's not the main thing, and that was hard for them to grab. So when you look at the rabbinical interpretations of the Old Testament, almost all of them, the messianic prophecies, they saw the suffering metaphor as a, as a heart change, that is a secondary thing, something that happens after you get the political stuff done. Um, because I don't know, you know, it's, it's good to bring yourself back into the first century and try to understand this. I'm guessing we would be probably as confused as James and John and some of the others. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, we've got, we got a leg up here, don't we? Um, uh, we've, we've got the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. Um, and so it's a little easier for us. Um, so what they saw was that under the rule of God's anointed, in quotes, because that's the Christos word. That's what anointed, that's what Christ means, anointed. Uh, and that's, you probably, that's what Messiah means. Uh, the people could then honor God with their lives and actions. You know, get, get rid of these stinking Romans. Get us where we're supposed to be. Give us the promised land. Then we'll follow you. Then we'll be good. Then we'll be obedient. That was out there. Because could you think about it, they had, uh, we had one of the apostles who apparently was a zealot because he was called Simon the Zealot. Um, the zealots were very zealous, zealous for the Lord. Um, they wanted to uh, overthrow the Romans. And there was, a, we find this in the, in the Dead Sea Scroll writings and in, in some of Joseph's writings, this, this term called Sakari. And they were, it looks like a subset maybe of the, of the zealots. And th their job was to kill any Roman they could and get away with it. And you think, well, how would you do that by for God? How could you? Well, if, if this was your ideology, we get rid of these, then we can follow. You know, it's out there today with Christianity. And it's like, well, you know, give me what I want, and then, then I'll be a Christian. You know, it's just never, was, never supposed to work that way. But that makes sense. And now when we come back and look at this, that Jesus is teaching that their priorities and their timing is off. And it's hard. You know, again, how do we know that they were wrong? Well, because the New Testament says they were wrong. Um, Israel was never meant to have an earthly king in the first place. You go back, back to 1 Samuel 8, verse 7 is the pointed one, but the people want a king. We want a king like the nations. And in verse 7 of chapter 8, Samuel has gone back to the Lord, and the Lord says to him, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. They're rejecting me as king over them. And, and you can read the rest of that. I will not make that assignment because that would be long. But you could read all of the rest of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. And, you know, just write down how well that went. Uh, there was very few successes. Uh, but the monarchy really never worked out well. Um, yet they still wanted it. So think about that. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? They want, they want a king. We just prayed with the kids for Jesus to be the king. It just comes down to do we, do we want him to be the king he came to be or the king we want him to be? Yeah. 
Think about it. God's main thing was and still is the heart, the character, the motives of worshipers. Um, they want pe- he wants people to serve and honor him. That's the number one thing. You know, I, it's the, I, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know if this is a technical statistical term, but there's a lot of what we call uh, one of these days, Christians. When are you going to come back to worship? One of these days. We need to focus on more of what God went one of these days. You know, it's, it's, uh, I think Jesus gave a parable in Luke about, I think he called the person uh, a fool. Uh, that, you know, your, your, your life is, is demanded of you tonight. One of these days has come. You know, uh, we got to be, be careful with one of these days. So he doesn't want empty ritual. And we got to be careful with that today. I mean, I know, I don't know about you, but once in a while, people can come to worship and really not feel like coming. Especially when you get some of that white stuff on the ground. I don't know if you knew this, but church attendance or worship attendance in the Midwest is uh, directly proportional to the temperature. You know, it's just like, you know, the, the, the temperature goes down, so does the ten church attendance. It's just like easy to do. Um, and sometimes there's good reasons. I remember that one time, it was Steve, you remember Steve? Oh, we're, we're pulling up there and of course this is bright. We are not going to close this church. 14 foot drift on both ways to get in here. So, I'm thinking there's got to be a helicopter on or somewhere. <laughs> but I, we pulled up there, as Steve came up there in his Jeep, you know, and, and I'm like, he says, we haven't church? I'm like, looks like not. <laughs> you know, so we did cancel. <laughs> you know, but, but that's the, sti- you know, why do you come? What were you here for? You know, way back in Hosea, which is a really cool book in a lot of ways, he says, I desire steadfast love. That's that hesed word. Mercy, sometimes it gets translated. Uh, and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I want you to act like that you're one of my followers. If you go on in that chapter, he's like, I don't care about your offerings. Because you don't care about me. The knowledge of God, that's it. That should be, when you wake up in the morning, how do I get to know God better today? Because the cool part about it is, all of us have no business getting to know God better. But yet he wants to. It's kind of cool. Isn't it? Then Micah 6 kind of gives us the positive of this. Uh, and you know this one probably. Uh, know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. This is really cool. Uh, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That walk humbly, follow, continued Every minute of our lives, that's what he wants. He wants us to walk with him. And then eventually that final place with God will come at the end of this world, uh, the second coming in Isaiah 65. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mind. And then Revelation obviously 21 picks up on that. Uh, so Jesus teaches throughout the Gospels that he, as God, is to be king and is to rule in the hearts of his followers in this fallen world. You, you look at, you know, back to the trial when Jesus, and we'll get, the, this is the John version, we'll obviously get the Mark version of this, but we miss this a little bit. Look at these words. Words matter. Uh, when you read it, understand what's trying to be said here. This is, he's, he's, you know, Pilate says to him, don't you know I have the power, you know, to kill you or to release you? And he says, no power. You would have over me unless it was given to you from above. I like it that Jesus is cocky even in trial. I mean, he's just, 
he's always in charge. I'm sure this was not fun. Um, but he says, my kingdom is not of this world. That's about origins. It's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. But yet, he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in, on this world. Jesus is not saying, well, this is an otherworldly thing. Don't worry about this kingdom. Don't vote. Don't do anything. Just do whatever you want because eventually we'll be dead and we'll be up in heaven and it'll be good. And I'm, that's, that's good. But you don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, right? We pray that your kingdom will come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how does that look? Is that saying we want, you know, some really, really good preacher to be the king of America? Or king of the world. That would be cool. That would be a good movie. No. What does it mean for Jesus to be king of your life? Who's ruling? Does it look like he's ruling in your life? That's what this is talking about. Um, the church was never meant to be that. God sets up rulers, and it's good to be a part of that. But that's not the main thing when it comes to the church. So there will be the ultimate ruler in the new heaven. That will eventually happen, just not yet. And that had to be hard for him. It's sometimes hard for people today. Um, how is this going to work? It's still supposed to permeate our society. So he's teaching that through following him, his teaching, his sacrifice, his resurrection, that you can have a true connection to God, access, real access through the grace by the faith that you have and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Having a special land and earthly king will not change your heart. It never could. It's interesting when you look around the history of the world for 2,000 years, you know when Christianity grows the most in persecution. I'm not sure we should pray for that. The first part, I don't know about the second part, we'll let God take care of that, right? But that's the thing. It's, again, what does it matter if you gain the whole, we had that earlier, world and lose your soul? Now, having that as a background, now maybe we can understand James and John's questions. What were they asking for? The glory they want is most likely political and temporal, worldly. You know, they're still thinking we're going to, yeah, th there's some really good teachings, Jesus. You're really, I, I really enjoy them. But when are we going to beat up the Romans? You get that in Acts, you know, all this stuff, resurrection, all this, you know, everything is really cool. He's getting ready to ascend in chapter one, and they say, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, Jesus is very nice here, much nicer than I probably would have been. I would have said, what's wrong with you people? How stupid are you? You know, but he was very gracious. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons. And he's kind of said, That's, that'll happen, but not now. He wasn't always, remember, he says, How, why are you so dull? Which is not a compliment. I don't know if you knew that. If you're not the sharpest tool in the shed, that's not a compliment. And one of the, we get this word baptism. We talked about that. And again, if you want to sign up, we're talking about water baptism here. I can't do the spiritual baptism. That's God's job. And neither can you. Um, but that... What is he talking about? That you're immersed into this suffering is really what he's talking about. 
They want glory. He's saying that's going to come through suffering. Um, that doesn't preach as well as if you follow Jesus, you'll always be healthy, wealthy, and successful, does it? Unfortunately, that, that health and wealth gospel is just a lie. So I wouldn't follow that. It might make life better in this world. I'm still working on getting one of those jets. Um, but uh, I don't know what I'd do with it. Maybe a jet, uh, would be good enough. I don't know. Uh, so they're, they're thinking that th most likely that they're fighting for Jesus and ruling with him in this world, but he talks about that, and this is interesting. Who's he talking to? Who's the two guys? James and John. You know who the first disciple that was killed? It was James. And then, well, the first of the 12. Yeah, the, well, Judas, <laughs> that was his job. You know, that was different. Um, but the first one that was killed because of his faith. You, you're going to get baptized just like I did. Herod killed him. Um, John got baptized in a different way, didn't he? I mean, as far as, and I'm talking metaphorically baptized. You know, the spirit exiled up Patmos, writes a pretty cool book that you can see usually placed at the end of your New Testament. Um, also writes a really good gospel if you haven't read it. Um, and three letters that are very pointed. Yeah, you will, you will drink, and with the baptism, uh, which I am baptized with, you will also be baptized. You'll be immersed in this too. And they get it. You know, I mean, read First John. He gets it. Yeah. I wonder what Peter is thinking here, but that's another discussion. <laughs> I'm sure he's. Well, let's move on to 42 through 45. So we got the 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 ten are indignant. Um, they're not happy because. They asked first, probably. But, uh, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You might have heard that verse 45, but there's the context. That ransom words, one of the things that happens at the cross. But he's teaching servant leadership. Again, if, you know, if you go to, John must have been listening because he wrote, he went ahead and put the foot washing thing in John 13, which happened really close to this in timeline. Um, it is, when you're, and this is true, I think, not just in the church. If you are a leader in your business or at school or whatever, I mean, you still want to, is the other person that you're, 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 you're leading, is, is their well-being more important than your own? That's always hard, isn't it? Always hard to do that. But you know, as you, I mean, I, you think about if you go back and kids too, I mean, you might have a teacher now or, or a leader somewhere in your life and how much difference it makes when they actually seem like they give a hoot about you whether it's a coach or whatever, they're, they're doing that servant leadership. doesn't mean you don't, you know, it's still the same thing. I remember in football, if they said jump, you said how high, right, because they're the coach. Uh, but that doesn't mean they don't care about you. You know, we get this idea in this world that hierarchy is bad. You know, you got Jesus up here or the coach up here or the teacher or the boss, the dreaded boss. Uh, and then you got us. It's much more fun if we're up here, isn't it? 
but how are we treating them if we are? You know, what are you doing with the gifts and talents you have? Um, I think we have to be so careful that we don't. Hierarchy is not necessarily bad. It, you know, um, you can First Corinthians, Jesus even says the Father is greater than I. That's economically, it's in, in role, you know. He doesn't seem to be all that bothered by it. And is it, does it bother you that God's greater than you? There was a snake that had trouble with that. Pride. It's always easy. You know, it's like, and this is kind of what they're doing, right? Put us up there with you. We'll show them. Yeah. It's different, you know. The new covenant leadership is not about power, but sacrificing for others so that they will know and follow Christ. doesn't mean you're not leading. Sometimes you have to tell people they're stupid. There's, I mean, it's the way it works. <laughs> and once in a while, uh, we sang that one of the songs had that, Oh, Lord, make us humble. <laughs> Be careful praying that. Because he seems to really answer that prayer quite frequently for me. And just when you think you got it figured out, you're like, all right, thank you. Yeah, yeah. But he's the example. You know, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for the ransom for many. And then we get uh, one of the last healings in the Mark's gospel anyway. So they, and they came to Jericho. So now we even know geographically where they are. Um, I don't have a map. It's pretty cool, though. That would look like the road to Jericho. Um, the road to Jericho is like this. It's Jericho's like, I don't know, a number of feet under sea level. It's on the Dead Sea area. And Jerusalem's like quite a few feet above. This. So you're, if you go, it's about 35 miles. It's, you're just uphill the whole time. So, it's, uh, so they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho and his with his disciples and a great crowd Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Always cool to get one more immediately in there from Mark. I think we're up to like 49 immediately or something like that. So. There's some interesting things in this account. We do this, I think I've told you this, you, you, and it's a good thing to do. Go through all the Gospels, find all the healings, throw in the Acts ones too, and then you try to figure out, well, what's the same and what's different, and it's just very humbling. Just when you think you got it figured out, something else happens. You're like, oh, well, that doesn't fit my paradigm. It just seems like Jesus just kind of does it the way he wants to. You know. Um, so Jesus appears to just be simply passing by. It's like, you know, we get into that old omniscience. Did he know he was there? Well, it doesn't seem like he's going to talk to him at all. But And many around Jesus actually rebuke him. A blind guy is calling out and saying, well, don't listen to that blind guy. And I wonder if it was some of the 12. Too. I, don't, I don't know. Because they'd seen other blind guys healed. I mean, wouldn't you want to go up to Jesus and say, now this guy over here, 
He's being annoying, I know. But do you want to heal him? You want to bring him over? You know, not just rebuking the guy. Um, I don't know. It's kind of odd. Bartimaeus twice calls Jesus the son of David, which is a messianic term. We'll get that. I, I, they're setting this up pretty cool, aren't they? We, we, we'll get that just next week in the triumphal entry that they get, they get Psalm 118, which we'll go through a little bit, which is a messianic psalm. That's what you sing. You know, blessed who is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. That's right out of Psalm 118. So they're leading up to it. And then Jesus asked him a really interesting question. And I think it's a question we're going to, uh, we'll end with this too as we, when we get to the end. But what do you want me to do for you? On one hand, that sounds, and I won't even use the S word because this is Jesus. Um, but it sounds kind of, I mean, you, you could almost see Bartimaeus saying, duh. I'm blind. You know, it's interesting he asked that. Notice he didn't ask James and John that. They asked him what he could do for them. Hmm. It's almost like it fits together, doesn't it? Yeah. He's, what do you want me to do for you? Well, he does kind of ask that, doesn't he, as I go back. Look at verse 36. It's the same question. Isn't that interesting? Wouldn't have been interesting if Bartimaeus said, I want to set at your right hand. Well, it's not for me to grant. And John and James can come up and say, oh, well, you can't get that. Don't ask that because he said, no way. You know, but it's the same question. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. So Bartimaeus' faith is mentioned here. And just when you think you got it fixed, because people say, well, what, why did they get healed? What was their faith? Then you get all these times when they don't even know who he is. So that doesn't always work either. I'm not faith, faith is not bad, but it's not necessarily required for this in Jesus' ministry. It's not always mentioned in his healing. And then what we notice, it says that, verse, the very vast verse there, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now they're going to Jerusalem. How long did that last? Did he, was he at the cross? Did he have a palm branch later? Uh, I don't know. People must have known this guy, right? We're not sure exactly where Mark was written. Uh, some say Rome. Um, but look at this. You know, this is Bartimaeus. This is the blind beggar, the, the son of Timaeus, obviously. Somebody must have known this guy. <laughs> Name dropping, right? Yeah, because otherwise, why put all that stuff in there? But some insights on these. We'll kind of end up with these. Jesus' main purpose was not to do miracles, but to offer a way back to God through his sacrifice. That's pretty clear in there. That's just not his main purpose. It's obviously one of his purposes. You know how many miracles he does after the triumphal entry? Guess. None. Well, kind of one. Well, sort of two. But not to other people. The resurrection's kind of a miracle. We'll go with that one. But set that aside. He does do a, what we call a negative miracle. It's the only negative one he does. It has to do with a fig tree. <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't do any more miracles. In fact, what do they ask him on the cross? He saved others. That tells you right there when you read through that, even if you didn't read the rest, that apparently miracles were not the main thing here. Death was. How was that put? 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. Interesting. The miracles point to his identity. You know, in John 12, right before he washes the feet in 13, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. That's his purpose. He was born to die. You know, that, uh, I don't necessarily like that. I don't know if you like that. Uh, I do in the long run, uh, but that had to be hard. It's hard. Heck, we just read through it, and I don't like it. Or it makes you feel, eh. And then it becomes personal. You know, when you get baptized, you're kind of like, oh, my golly, he did this because of me. Grace. And then you think, well, what can I do? And it's like, well, there's not much you can do, dude. There's nothing you can do to impress him. You can't undo some of the things you've done, but you can't accept the pardon, the ransom, the grace. That's always good. So Bartimaeus, he was using this explicit Old Testament Messianic term for Jesus, and how much he understood about the Messiah is not given. He understood something. He must have thought he was the Messiah. Perhaps Jesus' question was to see how deep his faith really was. What would have been the best thing in God's eyes to ask for? This is hard, because if I was blind, I know what I would ask for. I would ask for sight. And I'm not saying Bartimaeus did anything wrong. That's not the point. Maybe he got both. I I don't know. His faith was in the Messiah enough to call him to heal his blindness. And without that, it it looks like Jesus wasn't going to do that. And I think it's kind of metaphoric for us in the idea that people today, it's like, you know, Jesus isn't necessarily going to come and knock you off your horse on the way to Damascus. He might. He did that once. Most of the time, well, as it says in Jeremiah, you will, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Or in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God all of, and everything else will be added to you. The seeking, that's what we keep telling, seek. You know, once you realize you have a problem, hopefully you'll look for a solution. And Jesus' questions in verse 51 and the fact that Bartimaeus continued to follow Jesus kind of begs a question for us, too. Did he eventually realize that Jesus came to offer him something much greater than physical sight? I'm thinking, yeah. And you know why I think this? I think it's textual evidence. You know, Mark, we, we talked about that when we started. Probably written, I'm going to go with the mid-50s. It's probably the first gospel written, although your faith does not, your salvation does not hinge on that. Um, but why mention this guy by name and tell us his dad if he didn't eventually believe in Jesus? It seems like a pretty good thing that this guy did. Um, I could see take doing a movie with this. It's like, what happened to Bartimaeus after this? You know, I think I'd have him at the cross. And maybe that's when he figured out there's something greater. It's a wonderful thing that I can see, but it's so sad of what I'm seeing right now. You know, but boy, if he got to experience that. Maybe not, I don't know. But I think more than likely he probably did become a, a true believer in Jesus. He probably eventually understood that it was much better to have eternal life through Christ than re- and remain blind than to be able to see and be eternally condemned. And what does it profit 
We have that back in chapter 8. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is a great verse for our culture right now, isn't it? Our own lives. You know, it's easy. And be careful. I mean, I know I preach and teach against the health and wealth gospel because I think it's out of the pit of hell. And it's not biblical. But I'm not preaching, you know, the, the sick and poor gospel either. Well, if you just be more sick, God would love you more. Or if you could just lose all your, you know, I, no, I don't, God will bless you with what God wants to bless you. Just, you know, whatever he gives you, whatever gifts it is, just use them for his glory and, you know, some for your, helping things for your family, that's a good thing. God is, what's that? Don't, I don't, we've been reading through this, does Jesus seem like a stick in the mud all the time? You think they had fun following him once in a while? Or is it just like boring? It's like, ah, oh, Jesus is going to talk again. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but wouldn't it be cool if we could advertise next week, Jesus at Grace Church. Would you come? Would you invite a friend? Yeah. And I'd love to say, well, it's the same thing. Well, it's not. <laughs> but, but I'm glad you're here, and hopefully you get a little bit of that. But it's the idea, you know, what did, eventually the change has to fall on the meter for this guy. And he continues to teach his closest followers about who he truly is. That's what Mark's doing. It's taking us by the hand and showing us through the disciples mostly who Jesus is, what his true purpose is. Um, it's a wonderful thing that somebody was able to see that couldn't. And, and, I don't, and, and if you have things in your life that aren't the way they are, whether it's health or in pray, certainly ask. But let him decide whether or not it's the best thing for you at this time. I wonder how they would have answered Jesus' question to Bartimaeus after he was healed. You know, what they would have said after they saw that. What, how, what about that question after the crucifixion? What about that question after the resurrection or after the Holy Spirit comes in power? Well, guess what? You have all that. So this is your question for you today. How would you answer Jesus? If he came to you and said, what would you what would you have me do for you? I thought about that myself, and I'll keep it to myself. But probably wasn't the best. Maybe we should think about it a little bit before we answer, right? And I wa wonder what Bartimaeus would have said if you asked him now. Is that the right thing to say? I don't know. But think about that. Jesus does promise you a lot of things. Well, think about that. That's your assignment for this week if you want one. If Jesus came to you and said, what would you, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? Let us pray. Father, as we look through healing blind man and the question that comes to both uh, John and James along with Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? We realize from John and James that uh, their, their request was out of line with what Jesus wanted, um, but Bartimaeus's was not. And I just pray for each one here. We know that you, uh, you answer prayer in many ways, but we know sometimes we pray uh, seeing through a glass darkly and not understanding what you really want. May we do it with our hat in our hand. May we do it with, uh, with humility, always realizing that we are a beggar, just essentially asking for more bread. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.